0: Hey dude, so we have reached the portion of the summer where we mock LeBron for being a good dad. How excited for you about, are you about all this?
1: I mean, I'm just like disappointed that we aren't going to have anything to you uh, about you to mock about. That was. <laughs> That's
0: perfect. You know what? We're gonna throw to a conversation we had
1: with Miren.
0: Harrison has to recover from his stroke. We're gonna we're gonna throw to a conversation we just had with Miren Fader of Bleacher Report about
1: I had such a good roast too and was I just good. completely butchered it was it was the, almost there you the almost receiver. had it
0: <laughs> but yeah. we're gonna throw to this conversation uh, it's it's really good it's with Miren Fader of Bleacher Report she wrote about the Atentikompos about Giannis about Costas Nastis. Uh, Alex was the was kind of the centerpiece of the article. It was really really good. So check that out. Listen to this uh, conversation that we have with her. And then when we come back after a quick break, we are going to figure out what the hell we're going to talk about. All right. Now we are joined uh, on here by Miran Fader. She wrote an article about it's it's Costas. Harrison just said Costas, and I it's not Bob Costas. the de uh, compo. But anyway. Uh, Solid <laughs> intro. Miren Fader of Bleacher Report wrote a, a a fascinating profile on Kostas and Giannis, Thanassis, the entire family dynamic out there. It was really, really good. Uh, I would advise everybody listening to this to go check that out. Miren, thank you very much for hopping on with us.
2: Yeah, thanks for having me.
0: Anytime. I want to start here. It's It's fascinating to me to see their family go from – so little where their mom was was literally selling dvds and anything that she could to to be able to help provide for the family to Giannis gets his insane contract and yet alex like the the central kind of theme of this profile was alex's hunger and how that can kind of wane based on different things and 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 how much that has kind of in how how his in Uh, Maturity. His maturity has involved basketball to such an extent, but it's so interesting that you know Giannis succeeded in large part to help get their family out of that kind of a situation. Now they're fully out of it. Do you think that affects the drive of somebody like Alex?
2: Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think Alex faces different challenges than Giannis did or even Kostas did. You know, Alex grew up with a lot more resources. He went to a private school, you know, he has money. And so Giannis is always saying to Alex and Kostas and all of of them really, which is just like, you can't ever stop working. So whether you have money or you don't have money, your approach has to be exactly the same. I think a lot of people talk about wanting to make it, but it's quite another thing to spend literally every day of your life working to make it.
0: Yeah, it's 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 interesting here because, you know, I, I kinda think we saw it with the ball family, right, is the is the obvious comparison that just about everybody has ever made. But Lonzo succeeds, he makes it to the NBA, his middle brother, uh, LiAngelo is at UCLA and is promptly basically kicked out of the program. And, you know, I it's not it's not i would never go so far as to imply that that had anything to do whatsoever with lonzo's success but when you have one member of the family exceed to such incredible heights like i it it, it's kind of lost on us sometimes when when we cover this the insanity and the odds at which that these guys are going up against but Giannis is at the absolute peak the absolute pinnacle of his sport And now all of his brothers are gonna have that to to kind of go up against and and it's kinda hard enough as it is. And then you have the expectations of Giannis and then some of that that drive there. It's just it's an interesting dynamic, but I I think it's one that I, I really like Giannis's approach to to getting everybody kind of through this. That that really showed through the article here and the closeness of that family. What was what was your kind of takeaway from Giannis's interactions with Kostas and with, with Alex and even with Thanassus and, and everybody else there?
2: I mean, from from childhood, he was sort of grooming them and pushing them. And, you know, the pressure became enormous once he finally made it, right? Now, you know, Kostas has to follow. Now Alex has to follow. And they both have unreal expectations that, you know, not a, not a whole lot of people could live up to. But I think Giannis's approach, and this is Kostas' approach, too, is that you know, pressure is not how other people see it. Like pressure is purposeful. It's useful. You mm-hmm. can do, you can do something with it. And, you know, I, I think it's very, very hard to accomplish these things. And that's why you see this family be so much more quiet than for example, the ball family. I don't really hear much about this family yeah. outside of they work hard. They keep to themselves. I mean, they, they let the work speak for themselves.
1: It's so, Miren. Go ahead. I, I, I I was going to say, I mean, we brought you on to talk about like Costa specifically, because I know that from talking to you, like when you do a piece like this, you didn't just go and talk to him for five minutes and like, you know, and I'm sure that since this was on mostly centered on Alex and Giannis and kind of their journey together, like I'm sure that there was a lot of stuff that got left on the cutting room floor. So I guess just so that like Lakers fans can start to kind of get a sense of what kind of player they're getting, what kind of person they're getting. How do you think all of this affected him growing up in Giannis' shadow? Because like Thanassis obviously has to deal with that, e- even though he's the older brother. But I think it's different when you're a younger brother and you're coming up. And like, I think he came over here when he was in high school and was having to deal with like Giannis's kind of rise alongside his own rise as a prospect. And like, how did he deal with all of that?
2: Uh, yeah, seriously, there's so much left out. Um, I could have written like a, a Kostas pro- profile. Um There was so much pressure on him. There is so much pressure on him. And he's actually, he told me he's felt that since he was, like, 12. Um, People would always say in Greece, like, you're not as aggressive as your two older brothers, so Giannis and Thanasis. You know, you're lazier than them. And that just used to drive him nuts. Like, that used to motivate Kosa so much. And he would just stay out there and stay out there and stay out there and just shoot and shoot and shoot to just try to, like, prove all these people wrong. Like, he has felt slighted since he picked up a ball, to be honest. And he still carries that with him now. And like, people always ask him all the time, like, how do you deal with the pressure? How do you handle being, you know, third in line? And, you know, as much as Alex deals with being fourth in line, the third spot is really, really hard too. And, you know, Kostas was telling me, he's like, you know, I, I just looked at it differently. Like pressure is a good thing. Pressure makes you work harder. You know, when you're scared, you push yourself beyond your breaking point. And, you know, he, he says pressure makes diamonds. You have to keep working. So, you know, he has that mentality about him. And I think that you're, you know, Lakers are getting a really, really determined, motivated person. Like, just everything about him is all out effort. Like, if you look in the gym at their old high school, Dominican High School, where Alex goes now, there's a photo of Costas, and it's framed, and it's right in the center, and he's got his arms stretched out, and he's screaming. And it's a fantastic photo, but I really think it captures the effort essence of Kosas, which is like when I'm on the court, I'm going to give my everything. Um, So not only are you getting somebody who's an efficient player, you know, he's skilled, he's athletic, he's pretty agile, he's a good defender. I I think you're just getting that motivated person. And if I'm going to take anything away from the story that I did and all the reporting I did, which is that like to be in this family, you have to be a motivated person. You cannot walk around (laughs) doing anything half-assed. And so he's no different.
0: Yeah, I could see them just having, like, competitive dog petting matches.
2: Yeah. Oh, <laughs> <Just true>. <laughs> <anything>. <laughs> yeah, no, they they really are. And, you know, Alex was talking about that, too, and, and Kostas as well, which is, like, we didn't have to learn that. You know, we had that in our DNA. I will say Giannis told me that he had to push Kostas a little bit when they were growing up, like – Alex had that fire immediately but like Kostas needed to be pushed and have Giannis be on him and so he's reaped the benefits of the mentorship of Giannis too it took him some time but like you know he he has that now it's
0: it's it's, it's an interesting dynamic what do you think of so anytime a team adds any of the uh, Atentu Compo brothers to to their organization the immediate jump is so with Milwaukee it's all right this is to keep Giannis with the Lakers it's hey, you know, occasionally Giannis will talk to Costas, and, and if it just so happens to come up, how nice it is to play for the Lakers. And how great is that? Do, do you think that's – how do you feel about just the general idea of utilizing such a close brotherly relationship here, as, as you're saying, with the three brothers that are in the NBA right now?
2: I mean, I think that no matter how good these other brothers are – People will say that no matter what. So yeah. it's it's almost like doomed from the start. Like there's no way for them to really like carve their own identities in a sense because they will always be under that shadow. And so they just can't even look at it like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think the the hard part is, too, is like the way that they define them their own selves, which is like, OK, if I'm part of this family and I'm proud to be in this family and I love this family and I have traits that all my brothers do, how do I differentiate myself? And I think closest is on that journey, too. Like, he he's trying to define himself outside of Giannis' space. And maybe that's always going to be his journey. But, you know, I do think that, like, there is something to be said for bringing somebody that you know is not going to bring any drama. Like, there's, there's just no drama with this family. You can count on that. You can count on their stability. And you can count on their effort. So, you know, as much as people want to make it about Giannis and, oh, what does this mean? Like, at the end of the day, like, I bet you Kostas is just saying to himself, all I can do is play my hardest. That's it.
1: Yeah. yeah. Do you think that they can teach the Lakers about this whole no drama thing? Like, do you think those lessons <laughs> can be passed up the chain?
2: You know, maybe that could be a thing. Um, I think it would behoove them to figure that one out, but yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Lawrence what?
0: Frank had no problem pointing out that, you know, we're actually kind of like the Attenticompo family in the NBA,
1: but yeah. That's so funny. I can't. <laughs> what um what sense did you get for Costas and Giannis's relationship? I mean, you mentioned that Giannis obviously has to push him. But, like, you know, it's like Anthony mentioned. People have talked about this. And, like, myself included, I've written that this is, like, the natural. This is something that people are going to talk about as far as, like, you know, if the Lakers treat Costas well and they show him, like, this is how the Lakers are run, that maybe that will filter back to Giannis. I mean, you may not be able to answer this because, you know, you you did the one story on them. So I don't want to put you too much on the spot. But did you get the sense at all that that's the type of relationship that they have where they talk about stuff like that, where, you know, how the Lakers handle their team and all of that would filter that back that way to Giannis?
2: I mean, this is a family that talks about literally everything. There's no way they're not talking about these things. But, you know, I can't speak on, you know, uh, what this opportunity means to them as a family. And, you know, because when I reported this, he was, you know, still in the G League. But I, I will say they're extremely close they have different personalities, but they mesh together really, really well. Um, Giannis is more outspoken. Um, You know, he's going to tell it like it is. And if he's delivering advice to you, he's going to be blunt about it. Kostas is very, he's more quiet. He's more reserved. He's going to do it in a more gentle way. So, you know, I think their different personalities actually allow them to mesh well together. And that's why they're such good older brothers to Alex. But, you know, this is a family that is so close. They really don't let a lot of people in. So even if they were talking about the Lakers thing, you would never, like, there are no leaks in this this family, in this camp. You know, like, they're so focused. They're so um, energized. And honestly, like, their metrics for success are so different. Like, yes, Giannis wanted to be the MVP. That was his goal. Yes, he wanted to reach the NBA, and he wanted his brothers to reach the NBA. But, like, the metrics for success in this family is, like, did you give your best effort? Yeah. Are you a, are you a kind person? Are you a good brother and son? Like they just look at life differently, you know?
0: it was it was that really showed through to me. There was that one stretch where I think it was Alex, right, who said that he had played three of the worst games he had ever played. And Giannis basically asked him, Well, did you play hard the whole time? Did you were did you were you still a leader? And and if that was the case, then those couldn't have been the three worst games of your life because you at least were out there trying. Um, it's, it's, it's a lesson and it that, that... Sounded
1: like he punctuated it by hanging up on him like I should have I tried <laughs> right. that trick on some of my younger brothers
2: <laughs> it's so true he was like I'm just giving him a little bit let him figure it out I mean that's the thing like I could have written a profile on Giannis and Kostas their relationship could have been like 10,000 words you know mm. Giannis and his mom 10,000 words like they each have different ways of motivating each other but I think that's a prime example of how Giannis handles all of them like he wants to be that figure that shows the way he kicked down the doors he said look like I'm going to the NBA I'm going to show you how it's done and he's he's given them an inside look into what it is like but at the end of the day they have to figure it out themselves Kosas is going to LA he's not going to be around the family he's got to figure it out himself you know Alex we don't know where he's going next he's got to figure it out himself I feel like Giannis is just this like prophet at the head of the family that's what I tried to show he's kind of like a surrogate father now. And he's just trying to show them the blueprint. So he's leaving the tracks, but he, he, he wants them to all become their own men. You know, it's a, it's a weird tension between wanting to be a combination of each other and wanting to be your own man. And certainly this season will be so interesting to see like, okay, what kind of man is Kosas? What is, how is he going to define himself, separate himself on the court?
0: completely kind of changing direction here not completely we're still talking about the same subject but what was the toughest thing to to kind of take a not not leave in the
1: profile not leave in oh the you place? stole my final question sorry
2: the toughest thing to uh to not leave in the profile what was
1: the toughest thing left on the cutting room floor yeah. I left think on what the, trying to get at.
2: okay because every profile i have to cut so much and it really sucks i think it's um i think it's there's there's so much more um Anxiety about what this is like to be Alex sort of looking out at his brothers being so successful And you wanted to show that this is a really complex situation It's not that he doesn't have confidence in himself It's just that like this is really hard to do what he's setting out to do and there were so many, there were so many scenes that I really got to the heart of how hard this is and I had to kind of cut those um, Which is tough, but there were funnier scenes, like Giannis yelling at Alex for drinking lemon-lime Gatorade. That was, yeah,
0: that was so
2: great. funny to me. And I was just <laughs> like, I wish I could have actually included this dialogue in here. Um, but, you know, all this stuff on Costa is about, like, pressure is good and how does he feel. I feel like it was so focused on Giannis and Alex. I, I, I wasn't sure if I did justice to how much... Costas and has impacted um, Alex. So if I could do it again, I, I might put more time to all of their relationships,
0: but yeah, I, I walked away from this, you know, learning that the difference between me, you know, sitting in this in this office that I'm sitting in right now, and being the MVP of the NBA was lemon lime Gatorade. I love that drink. and And you know what, I don't have any regrets
2: no regrets mm-hmm. I, I do too secret sauce <laughs>
1: well uh harrison do you have anything else no uh i don't you actually like i said you 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 swiped my last question so um Mir- so again that was uh mirin wrote the rise of the next adetacumpo for bleacher report and you can check everybody should check that out like whether you're lakers fan bucks fan whatever like it's just really good writing and what else are you doing as we approach august as far as like the nba goes mirin is there any other? Are there any stories you have coming that you want to tease or anything before we get out of here?
2: I'm actually uh, revisiting an earlier subject about CTE potentially, so keep an eye out for that. I appreciate it.
0: All right. So, just as a general rule of thumb, if Miran writes something, you got to check it out. Uh, thank you very much, Miran, for hopping on with us the way that you did. This was a lot of fun, and and it's a it's a great this this subject in in particular. I thought you knocked it out of the park. Not just not just the idea of a family struggling together and then you know their their travels and tribulations that and trials and tribulations that that have really kept them together. I thought you did a, a fantastic job on this article. It was really really good.
2: Oh, thank you so much. I really appreciate it.
0: He stole all my praise, but 100% co-signed. <laughs> 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 all right, so that's uh Mirin Fair Mirin Fader of Bleacher Report. Check out her profile on the Attentive Compos and and everything else that she writes. Uh, We're going to take a quick second, and when we come back, Harrison and I are going to kind of take you guys around the latest surrounding the Lakers. And and Harrison has a a a chapter of Byron Scott's book, so we're going to go from Mirren's incredible writing to Byron. So I can't wait for that. (laughs) All right, that was a lot of fun. Again, as I said a, a few times there at the end of the interview, make sure you guys are checking out everything that Mirren writes. She's really, really good, she's super thorough. That's part of the reason why we why we brought her on here was because we knew that there was going to be a ton of stuff on the on the cutting room floor that was going to be interesting about a player who's going to be fascinating. Like I'm not going to pretend to know much about Costas Atanikompo, the player, uh, but based on some of the things, I'm not even
1: going to pretend to know how to pronounce his name because, like, you know, you had to put me on blast for that, right? And during well, the... and then you kept doing Costas, dude. Did I? Yeah, you cost oh, us the interview. Well, see, all right, well. <laughs> It's off season. It, it's it's off season for everyone. We all have stuff to work on. <laughs> I wish somebody has to put together like a a, a super
0: reel or whatever so, it is a, a gag reel of all of the things that you you pronounce incorrectly.
1: Yeah, you know. I mean, I, I would deny that or like get mad that you're bringing it up, but it, honestly, I feel like it's a new thing every podcast. Yeah, that and how much I hate
0: Applebee's. Did you? I I saw an Applebee's and I considered taking a picture like just flipping off Applebee's, but I didn't think the majority of the people who follow me on Twitter would
1: have got the joke. No, probably not. And like, you know, also, I think like especially if it was clear what location that was, you may have gotten like an uncomfortable visit to your house. Like if you were just sending cryptic tweets flipping off an <laughs> uh, off an Applebee's. <laughs>
0: Now I should now I'm kind of regretting not doing it. What we're going to do here though, there are a couple things here that that are kind of happening, you know, around tangentially the the Lakers. So we're going to talk a little bit about Jared Dudley and his disagreeing with Steve Kerr about whether or not Anthony Davis is ruining the NBA. Uh, we're going to talk about Anthony Davis's especially it's kind of interesting that we're going to talk about this or that this came up uh, right after you and I talked to Mirren about how the Atentucampo family views, you know, success.
1: You know, it's a right? Is it, it? What is it? Yeah. So how, speaking of mispronouncing things, I, I'm
0: pretty sure it's Atentucampo.
1: No, it's a Hmm. Just like faster, I just sounded it out. A Dedakunbo. A It's like a bow at the end. That's Look at basketball stick, reference.
0: I'm just gonna stick. I'm gonna stick to uh, Giannis. Until the other ones start mattering.
1: You're even going to call uh, Kostas Giannis?
0: <laughs> yeah, until the other ones start mattering, it's Giannis, Giannis and his brothers.
1: Yeah, I mean, we just need to come up with, like, a Greek freak-esque nickname for him. Like, obviously, we can't take that one because it's Giannis, but...
0: hmm Bob Kostas. Think... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, anywho, I want to start here with the Dudley thing because it kind of struck a chord with me when, when Kerr went out and said that... Yeah, you
1: wanted to write about this. I did like like this time of year. That is very rare that Anthony's like, I want to write this thing.
0: Yeah, it was just it was lame. So uh, I believe the original quote from Kerr was I'm talking about the Anthony Davis situation where a guy is perfectly healthy and has a couple of years left on his deal and says, I want to leave. That's a real problem that the league has to address and and that the players have to be careful with. When you sign on that dotted line, you owe your effort and your play to that team, to that city, to the fans. And then once a contract runs out, it's completely your right to leave as a free agent. But if you sign the contract, then you should be bound to that contract. If you come to an agreement with the team uh, that, hey, it's probably for the best of us uh, to part ways, that's one thing. But the Davis stuff was really kind of groundbreaking and hopefully not a trend because it's bad for the league, Kerr said, about a situation that involved Alvin Gentry, close friend of Steve Kerr.
1: He's like – well, also, he's saying it's groundbreaking like Dwight Howard doesn't exist, like Carmelo Anthony doesn't exist. You know, like all these names, even Paul George had like – like to me, when I was writing the article, that's the one that stood out as like this is where we're starting. And it's not just because he's not a Laker or whatever because Lakers fans don't like him. I honestly think that that's the one that really perked my ears up because all of a sudden it's a guy that just re-signed a year ago – Demanding a trade because to a place because he was recruited and admitting that. Yeah. Like, and saying that, you know, Kawhi called me and said, hey, can you get over here? And then they're like trying to sell He's his him and his camp have been trying to sell this as like it was like a mutual thing with the Thunder. <laughs> like, I'm pretty sure Sam Presty <laughs> made it sound like it was a lot less mutual. You and know, they how, just tried to. You know how bad a lie it has to be
0: for Sam, Pre- like for an executive? Just like, no, 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 that is definitely not what it was.
1: Like, yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't say that.
0: <laughs> that's Sam Pressy out and out. Like that's as close as an NBA executive will get to calling a player a liar.
1: Like that's Unless as- Pat Riley who probably like would actually do that.
0: I wish it would have happened to Pat Riley cuz Riley might have actually done that. It would have been great. But but yeah, the the whole idea of and here's my other thing too is that The idea that stuff like this, like people said that LeBron James was going to ruin the league, right? When he went to, when he took his talents to South Beach, the league is only more popular now than it ever has has been. Uh, If you want to make a case that anything could have potentially, quote unquote, ruined the league for the entirety of the time that something went on, Kevin Durant going to Steve Kerr's own team, damn near ruined the league because there was there was just a. We saw the regular season in the playoffs as a formality before the the Warriors would eventually be crowned. Like if yeah. you actually, if you actually want to talk about like what's good and bad for the league, players have like utilizing the, their power in ways that GMs and owners do when they just opt into trading those players without any kind of thought to oh whether or not that's good or bad
1: for the league. Like it's just. I just I read I Yeah, it's I, like what, like Blake Griffin when he signed yeah. that contract with the Clippers they were showing him like jersey retirement Clipper ceremonies for and Statue. whatever Yeah. And then they and then they dumped him like how that's just the team side of what Anthony Davis did was he signed an agreement. He decided that the vision was no longer aligned. And also the other thing is like what Steve Kerr is kind of ignoring is that the Pelicans had failed Davis for years like that kind of stuff. You and I talked about this, like it's going to build up over time. And at some point, like the player, you know, like I'm not saying that Davis did them a favor by demanding a trade, but he at least allowed them to get something for him. Absolutely. Weird like how he didn't that do that He didn't demand a trade to do them a favor and to get allow them to get something for him. But it. You happens. know. Yeah, he wasn't being altruistic. He wanted to be on the Lakers and wanted to be there earlier than he would be allowed to get there in free agency. But still, you know, it, like that was kind of a win win. It was. I look. You compare
0: that to players departing in free agency previously. Like maybe the Thunder wish that Kevin Durant had had demanded a trade. Right, like I yeah. would imagine, they would have gotten quite a bit in return for Kevin Durant once upon a time.
1: Yeah, like, if you pumped Sam Presti full of truth serum, he would have been like, "Wow, who would have said? Who would have guessed that it was not Kevin Durant that was the snake, and actually, it was Paul George?" <laughs> exactly. It, I just, you know, I, I the idea well, of we should get into why the reason the reason we're bringing this up now because these comments were last week. Well, so Jared Dudley was was asked about this and he disagreed. Right, so. Uh, Yeah, you don't have to take our word for it, like as, you know, blog boys. Like, there are actually people inside the league who called this out as BS. I'll I'll read what uh, Jared Dudley had to say.
0: So, to the athletic. To the athletic, you know what? I'm a huge Steve Kerr fan. Obviously, he traded for me. I was in Phoenix with the same agent, Mark Bartlestein. Uh, That's the only time I've disagreed with him because why can't a player ask out of his contract if uh, what you sold on him changed? Happens all the time. Hey, we want to win. But now we're going to rebuild, vice versa, where a guy gets traded after a year when there are three years left on his contract. And so, why can't a team, or why can a team be able to trade, but a player can't ask for a trade? Now, the only, see, the, the thing here is, Steve, like nobody ever wanted to trade for Steve Kerr. So, I think he's, you know, whatever. Anyway, uh, now the only difference of this is the perception. Paul George asks for a trade, but no one knows about it. But Anthony Davis comes out, and and because it's public, now he's getting killed just because it's public. So, you know, the way for players to do it is in private. But obviously, he thought he couldn't get out of there if he did it privately. And so people ask for trades all the time, all the time. Uh, And now – and so I just – don't understand Steve's stance on that because if you run your organization well enough, Anthony Davis was in New Orleans. He didn't make it past the second round in eight years, nine years. Like, what do you want him to do? And that's exactly what you just said, Harrison. It's just like, look for it's a, a,
1: all that is facts for you
0: know? a, for a good portion of Anthony Davis's career, the Pelicans' training staff was shared with the New Orleans Saints. Like, look at football season is coming up, right? Watch some of those guys on the offensive line, and you tell me whether you think those guys should have the same medical attention or the same medical techniques as somebody like Anthony Davis, right? Like it's just it the makes...
1: medical staff was like, just eat more; it'll help you bulk up. And he's like, wait, no, that's not. I came in with a sprained ankle.
0: Right. That's it. And and you know, one of the things it's funny to hear Pelicans fans and and some of the people uh, that are that are covering the team now go so far as to say like oh see but that changed it it, it happened once upon a time guys <laughs> like like there are other there are other great players out there who haven't demanded trades and it had a lot to do with the fact that there weren't football executives making yeah. basketball
1: team decisions like it's like if i spit in your face and i'm just like well there's not spit there anymore why are you still mad you wiped it off you know what i mean <laughs> yeah.
0: why are you punching me in the face still like, obviously, you should have moved past it after that
1: that, that spit dried up. Like, yeah. Just... Like, I keyed your car, but I said I was sorry, and then I, like, bought you a new paint job. Why are you still mad? No, I I, I mean—
0: You know what they, I mean? Like, would, would I still keyed heard... your car.
1: Yeah. Well, would they—is
0: have... hiring David Griffin as a last-ditch effort to keep Davis there,
1: is that the equivalent of, of repainting a car? Yeah, I mean, basically, it's putting a new paint job on, like, a crappy situation. Yeah, a better paint job. That's fair. Yeah, that's A better fair. paint job, yeah. It, yeah. Like, you know, it took, like, a key lime car and painted it, like, you know, like, a sensible color or something.
0: I'm I'm interested as to, like, what you consider a sensible color for a car. I don't know, like silver or black, something like that. You would go grayscale. You're so boring. No,
1: I'm just saying, like, that's, like, you know, that's, like, an easy, you know, color. What's,
0: like, like what's the optimal color you would put on your car?
1: Honestly, probably purple. It's, like, my favorite color, so. Really? Yeah.
0: Dodge makes a really cool purple on their cars.
1: Yeah. Like, I'd probably—I mean, I just wouldn't want to wash it that much, so, like, that's probably the main reason I wouldn't get it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but the the thing about the, uh, <laughs> the Dudley said that really stuck out to me and, like, was, I think, the most cogent criticism of, like, what Kerr was saying was— like, number one, the difference really is when we're talking about this is that Davis didn't do this privately and everyone wants you to do it privately. But at the same time, he obviously did not feel like he could get out of New Orleans if he did it privately. And there was the whole situation where they originally – people are ignoring that originally they did bring it to them privately. And it was only, I believe, when Dell Demps went around Rich Paul and went to Davis himself and was like, hey, are you sure you want to do this? Da, 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 da. And then like that's when Rich Paul leaked it as like a, yeah. you don't go around me and go to my client. And, like, people forget Davis got fined for that. It wasn't Rich Paul. Like, so, you, like, if Rich Paul was doing that without Davis signing off on it, like, Rich Paul probably would not be Davis's agent anymore, nope. and he very much still is. Um, So I, I think there's that part of it, and then there's just, like, look – teams have control over these guys for uh, Jared Dudley said like eight or nine years. It's like generally at least seven set at seven or eight. And if they're good and like, you know, he did his time for that city and they didn't put a winner around him. He should be allowed to like in no other industry. Are you not allowed to go seek out a better situation for yourself?
0: Yeah. And, and look like the timing matter here mattered <laughs> or the, the, the timing on when Davis wanted to be traded to the Lakers mattered. The Lakers, like if if the Lakers couldn't sit around and wait for Davis to become a free agent and then add him to the roster, though, that was just it. Just wasn't feasible there. And and Davis was trying to do what was best for him, what was best for the team that he was going to, and he wound up doing what was best for for the Pelicans in and of their own right, right? So yeah, like I don't, I I guess that's where that's where. And again, any they got time all we, these prospects
1: that aren't trash anymore, even though they weird. were at the trade deadline. Yeah,
0: but it. it Anytime I I hear somebody talk about like what's good and bad for the league and 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 talk about it so explicitly, I roll my eyes because we don't know about that until it actually happens. Like maybe it's bad for the league, but I, I based on the amount of interest that we saw. Uh, surrounding Davis's trade trade demand and and when that was actually put together, what the ripples of it were were going to be, and the amount of attention that is now put on the NBA offseason, like no, none of this is actually bad for the league. What's the closest thing that was actually bad for the league was was there the competitive imbalance that was
1: created by the Warriors landing Durant? So if no, if, the thing that was actually bad for the league was Davis being in New Orleans this long. That was probably yeah. Yeah, and, and we want to talk what? about what's bad for the league. Like I, the, the thing that, that that I hate, I hate that phrase because it's always people just it's a it's a synonym. It's just for this is bad they for don't me. like. Yeah. Yeah. It's just I don't like this. So, yes, it's a vis a vis. It's bad for the league.
0: Right. Yeah. It's just it's just Kerr whining. It's that's kind of how it came across to me. It was, it was, yeah. it was Kerr whining and, and you know what? The Warriors are
1: more like Steve Cryer.
0: We could have uh, done better. I know. I think we could have done better. Uh, all right the other the other topic here that that we wanted to touch on before we get to uh, making fun of the latest Byron chapter, which we haven't done in quite a
1: while yeah we are, we're bringing back Byron's <laughs> book club, so stay tuned
0: uh, but we wanted to talk about Anthony Davis's, and you have this quote in front of you, Harrison, Anthony Davis talking about how he's going to define his career.
1: Yeah. So he said on the That's What She Said podcast with Sarah Spain of ESPN that uh, he said he doesn't think he's had any failure yet. So, you know, congrats on that. Uh, He said, I don't think I have had I have a failure that I've had yet. Obviously, at the end of my career, if I don't win a championship, that would be I would feel that's one of my biggest failures. But right now, I still have a lot to do in this world on and off the court. So I don't feel like I failed at anything. I think I just continue to do it over until I succeed at it, which is like, I mean, number one, solid humble brag on never failing at anything. Also, that podcast, it's like seven minutes. Every Lakers fan should listen to it because he talks about why he would like advocate for the purge and why he's afraid of the dark. So it's like (laughs) great listen. Um (laughs) Yeah, so, I mean, I think that the reason this stuck out to me is because it continued a theme this summer of guys talking about title or bust, which you and yeah. I have talked about in the past. Uh, Did he win a national championship? I don't think he did. No, the, I don't think they won it. I think they came close. I think that they were, what, Final Four while he was there? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, that was, they didn't win it. I wouldn't
0: call—I mean, if he's defining his NBA career— based on whether or not he wins a championship, then I don't think you can quite do that and not say you've never failed if you didn't win a national championship. But like, the reason I point that out is just how stupid it is to define yourself that way. Like, I really like, we just finished talking to Marin about this, about how, you know, for, for the, oh, man, now I'm I'm self-conscious about it. compôs. Yeah, you're getting closer. All right, but with that family, like they define success as: did you give it your best? Did you did you give it your honest best? Did you do everything in your power to be able to succeed? Because sometimes you do that, and the ball just doesn't bounce your way, right? Like does does Philly feel worse about their season if just because the ball bounced that seventh time and that meant it went through the the, the basket for them? Yes, in, in by definition. But is that really how we want to define these things? Like, I, I just, I, that's why the idea of title or bust, it's just, it's so, it lacks such nuance that I think it backs you into a corner. And, and, you know, Davis kind of sort of backed himself into a corner here just by trying to abide by that same standard here with the Lakers.
1: I guess. But at the same time, I, I just I don't know. We, we've talked about this before, but I just can't really blame him for having that expectation for himself. I don't think that you reach that level it, this level unless you feel that way, unless you it deeply burns you to not be at the top of the sport. You know what I mean? Like we can say that that's not nuanced and that that's not a realistic way to look at things. But I think that in order to motivate yourself to get to where Anthony Davis has gotten to, you kind of have to think about it that way. Or a lot of people do, or it helps in certain ways.
0: I guess. I don't know. I mean Giannis is 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 probably higher within the sport right now than Davis, right?
1: Yeah, I mean I think yeah, perception wise for sure.
0: So do you think do you think I mean think, he's the MVP. Do you think his, his
1: outlook on life is more is, is flawed? I or? mean He seemed pretty upset that they didn't win a title. He was talking about like, you know, when he was accepting the MVP, he was talking about like that he doesn't want to hear that he's the MVP until again until next year, like he when they win it again, yeah, or when he wins it again and stuff (laughs) like that. So like guys, you know, like it's not just Davis that looks at things like this. That's not obviously about a title, but Giannis is basically saying MVP or bust for himself. You know, like he it's one thing for him to tell his younger brother, did you try hard, try to impart that healthy mindset onto him, but for yourself i think you're almost prone to like want to push yourself as hard as you can be like i wake up every single morning and i look in the mirror and i'm like today you're going to be the best blogger on the planet and that's never been true once but you know (laughs) it hasn't stopped me from trying
0: slick i have a mirror humble brag i can afford a i can afford a mirror
1: yeah i have a lot of mirrors actually like all over my house
0: that's kinky anyway Oh my god. <laughs> Start reading. <laughs> Start <laughs> I I'm not going to be able to focus for for the rest of
1: the show. Let's talk about
0: Byron's chapter.
1: All right. So, chapter 8 was risk. And when I read the cha- the title for this chapter, I definitely like there were about a million things. I thought it was going to be able like, like you know, it was going to go over versus yeah. what it actually did go over. I was very you know, honestly, this was like the most self-aware that Byron has been in this book so far did he I say think he it, crosses his arms too much no it, it wasn't that it was just like i don't know he was talking like like a human being like a little bit instead of just <laughs> like trying to be this like this caricature of like chuck norris or something that just like you know never loses <laughs> at anything and you yeah know, basically instead of him doing his kobe bryant impression he was like actually writing like a human being um coincidentally while talking about kobe bryant quite a bit but um you know the the most I guess in terms of what I learned from um, from this chapter, I learned what a champion's mentality is. So, mm-hmm. you know, Byron, he says at one point, he says, now there are a number of ways a person can react to that. So Jerry West said to him when he was getting set to sign him for his final season, Byron wanted to come back and end his career with the Lakers. And we should mention, since it's been a while, this book is slam dunk success leading from every position on life's court. It's by Byron Scott and his friend, Charles Norris. And then I guess... With John Warwick, I don't know how you pronounce that, but anyway. So Byron His Buddy's this... name is Chuck Norris. I know, right? Like, <laughs> That's amazing. it's amazing. Not that Chuck Norris. <laughs> I know, but it's that still... would be a phenomenal book. It it's would be like a... Byron talking about how he actually beat him in a fist fight one time. So all those jokes are lies. What do you? What are the chances that
0: that Byron Scott is like mid conversation, like, so I was ta- I was talking to my buddy Chuck Norris the other day. Without without clarifying which Chuck Norris... He probably...
1: Chuck- I'd say like once a week. <laughs> and with Kobe, it's like twice a day. <laughs> I was telling... Look, man, I was telling Chuck the other day... Like, I uh, was talking to my close personal friend, Kobe, who's like a brother slash son to see, me. See, but that's the actual Kobe, right? Yeah. It's a new level what if of hilarity. talking about Kobe Carl? It's like, one time I screamed at Kobe...
0: <laughs> I told Kobe one time to get me some damn water.
1: And... He did it. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be incredible. Did anything for you, boss? <laughs> um, so anyway, we're we're on chapter eight, risk, and he, so Byron is talking to Jerry West about like finishing his career with the Lakers one last season. And he says, Wes said to him, we're going to need your leadership, he said, but you're going to have to make the team. It won't be a guaranteed contract. So then here's Byron's response to this. Now, there are a number of ways a person can react to that statement. The initial instinct might be be to let pride take over and whine and scream about what I've done for the organization. How dare they make me earn a spot on the team? Didn't three rings in 10 seasons do that? I feel like by saying that, you're kind of also like you're saying it. You know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Like, so shots fired at Jerry West. Um. Anyway, Byron goes on to continue. But that's not who I am. That's not a champion's mentality. I played every game with something to prove. So to me, this was nothing. I was happy to have the opportunity and I was confident in my ability to do what it took to make the team. Um. And then it, later on, he says, even though it wasn't a guaranteed contract, to me, it was a guarantee. Like, he tries to talk in inspirational phrases in this book and it's like kind of amazing. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. I, um, I I wonder if like I you could to- I could totally see Byron writing his his portions of each chapter right writing a line like that and giving
1: himself chills. He's like, whoa, that was I just inspired myself. Yeah. I'm gonna go to the gym with my good friend Chuck Norris. Hey, Kobe, um, Kobe, get over here, listen to what I wrote. No, 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 not you, Kobe. Kobe, thank you, thank you, you know. Thank you for the opportunity. Okay, Kobe Carl. Yeah. <laughs> um Kobe with a Y. So then I guess like on the theme of our joke a couple second a couple minutes ago about Kobe um he he felt the need to let everyone know that like Kobe was very deferential to him as a rookie um mm. and just he said that at the rookie symposium and he kept telling him like he kept telling Kobe look you can call me Byron and he responded okay Mr Scott so Byron's like see people <laughs> respected me um He's probably talking about Kobe Carl there <laughs> No <he's, laughs> well no, he spelled it out. Kobe. He spelled it out. Kobe. Yeah. Um, We're gonna find out. There's
0: been a, there's been a new edit of this book, and it's it's gonna be spelled
1: C O B Y. They're like correction. Yeah. Um, but no. And then he uh, he talked about like he basically took credit for seeing that Kobe could be the best player ever before anyone else. He just mm. said like he was the one that told him when he was a rookie, "You will be." Uh, like uh, parentheses, the best player in the game. You keep working the way you work, and you will be. Because like Kobe said that his goal was to be the best player in the league. And so oh. Byron, you know, Byron saw it.
0: That's good. That's good. It's too bad Byron didn't see anything close to that with any of the young kids that Well, see, exactly.
1: Like, he saw it in Kobe, so how dare you question him saying that Russell is a fraud, basically. You know, I don't think he ever said that. But, you know, he privately. Ambided. privately, I'm sure he has. Yeah, probably. Anyway, so that, you know, didn't learn a whole lot this week other than that, like, anytime somebody tells me that I have to prove myself in a job, it's a guarantee that I will prove myself and that they're, yeah, you know... Yeah, it's,
0: it's a guarantee you're going to wake up tomorrow, look yourself in the mirror, and be the best,
1: like, blogger tomorrow. Yeah, I'm going to keep running into that mirror. <laughs> so next week you have, uh, you have chapter 9, and it's success outside your element. So I guess for Byron that would mean like talking to young people. Um, but I'm excited to hear what he teaches you next week. I'm, I can't wait.
0: I'm I'm on pins and needles. That'll do it for this episode of the Lake Show here on the Silver Screen and Roll podcast network. Thank you guys very much for tuning in. Thank you very much for uh, – or to Mir and Fader for, for hopping on with us and, and – uh, discussing the what she learned from the entire family and, and Giannis and Kostas, NASA, everybody over there. Uh, thank you very much, Harrison, for, for something. Uh, but for now... Thanks so
1: much, Harrison, for setting that up. Oh, no problem, Anthony. I was happy to do it.
0: Oh, yeah, that was you. Thanks, Harrison. Yeah. Good job.
1: Thank you. I so, needed to hear that. I was the best interview setter-upper on the planet today.
0: That, you, you, exactly. Exactly. Uh, have a great rest of your day, everybody. Make sure you guys are continuing to hit that subscribe button. Send us those iTunes reviews if you have questions or comments there. Uh, we'll actually
1: get to questions on the next episode. I feel like we say this every week. But th- this time, I promise, Yeah, we will we are, actually get to them. We
0: are reaching that, that time of the year. As soon as yeah. LeBron as a father comes up, it's time to open up the mailbag.
1: Yep, so hit, again, five-star review on iTunes Silver Screen and Roll Podcast and we will read the we will check out those questions on the air next week. We promise.
0: Yep, have a good one everybody.